Mana 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 this is social disgusting welcome to social disgusting a podcast where my guests and i discuss our lives amidst the wanton hellscape in which we find ourselves i'm brandon aka brandon i hope you're well my guest is a comedian writer director editor and actor of whom i became aware via the great podcast who charted and whose short film john tarzan in which a private eye mourns a failed relationship while investigating a missing persons case in 1973 la which i watched nigh upon 30 minutes ago please welcome max beasley welcome all right thanks for having me brandon that's uh, that's quite an intro i i feel like uh like a real multi-hyphenate <laughs> I, you got a lot of hyphenates. You're, a, I dare say, a polymath. You gotta, you gotta have hyphenates in LA. If I'm gonna give you any piece of advice, it's you gotta have hyphenates. <laughs> you can't just be a single threat. You have to minimally no. be a triple threat in this town. You, you don't want to be, you don't want to be super good at one thing. You want to be passable at like 15 different things. <laughs> Fair enough. In a town where you have to have multiple threats, some of which are truly threatening, but hopefully more skill-related in the threats, ideally, one has, then you got to differentiate yourself in any way possible. And you've got, by my count, five of them? Five. That's At damn least. impressive. That's impressive. Hey, I mean, I didn't want to overload the bio with, uh, with all of my hyphenates, but I put the top five in there. Hey, it's like that classic Hollywood story where... An actor signs up for a role and they have to know how to ride a horse. They're like, yeah, of course I know how to ride a horse. And then they damn near break their neck almost immediately because they lied to get the job. But, you know, got to do what you got to do. Exactly. I think that was, weirdly enough, one of my least favorite actors came to mind when I just said that. I think that's uh, Uh, Eddie Eddie (laughs) Redden. Well, that's actually my least favorite actor. But um, just, (laughs) just the, truly the... Worst Superman we've ever had. Ever, all the other Superman have been so filled with charisma, as opposed to Christopher Reeve, yeah. who yeah. was devoid of it. Clearly, Eddie Redmayne is one of my least favorite actors. Oh sure. That and uh, Jared Leto, which is not exactly like the most original choice, seemingly yeah, I don't at know. the Those moment. Those are pretty hot takes, man. <laughs> I uh, I just think they're very deeply affected actors. Like they took all the worst lessons from Daniel Day Lewis, who did everything because that was his process and now they're just yeah. like i'm just gonna do this because that's what actors do right yeah rest in peace daniel day uh it's just a a simple a cobbler shame. taken too soon yep <laughs> gotta start somewhere because that's how these work i guess question mark but the uh easy to ask you for to answer a question how are you oh well i uh i'm okay i i'm a little warm I'm currently in a wrist brace because I uh, got carpal tunnel from playing Xbox too much. Wow. Other than that, I mean, I you know, I'm as good as anybody can be, I think, right now. You know, I think, uh, you know, life is hard. <laughs> Fair. It is a deeply unfair question. Like, I don't... The funny thing is that um, sometimes when it's turned on me, I'm like, oh, I have no idea. I don't. Yeah, you gotta know. self-reflect. <laughs> you gotta meditate. Yeah, I mean, you gotta really zone out in a way that's healthy, you know, because otherwise you can be crushed by the weight and by the weight of everything. I love to zone out. I I spend most of my days zoned out. I would say. I think there's there's a lot of uh, like positive mental health aspects to be found in in like a really like casual or fresh zone out. Honestly. Right. I zone yeah, out I a mean, lot. Yeah. I don't know what you do, but I love to 
just play a mindless video game or listen to a podcast or read a book, anything, anything to take my mind off of where I currently am. No, that's fair. I listen to uh, a lot of podcasts. I do some audiobooks. Mm-hmm. I spent 40, spent maybe is on the wrong word. I think I lost 45 minutes a day going down the rabbit hole of the latest J.K. Rowling controversy, and I was utterly riveted by it. Okay, so how, how does one, I'm aware of this controversy, but how does one lose 45 minutes a day? What, what's the rabbit hole? What's the iceberg with that? Okay, and that's a fair question. And to be fair, it's not a day, it was just two day. If, oh. I, was, <laughs> if I was losing 40 minutes every day, I, I would really have to do that self-reflection you mentioned far more than I'm apparently Yeah, I'm like, I, I kind of <laughs> thought I got all the information from the headline on that one. <laughs> It was more of a, uh, where I was reading what was happening today, which is to say that she released or is releasing a new book in her detective series, but this one is about a YouTube animator who said ableist and transphobic things, things that directly, (laughs) directly, interestingly, directly, uh, (laughs) directly mirrored her exact life situation, um, in which he is, of course in a very, like, melted brain, rich person sort of way, has said that it's purely coincidental that well, those, that, 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 that is the case. Right, right, well, you know. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The book also is 1,024 pages. It's a lot. It's like the fifth or sixth book in, in a series she started 10 years ago, which, interestingly enough, she writes under a male pseudonym, which I find a lot to unpack psychologically there, but... It's ironic. Uh, yeah, yeah, certainly. yeah. Well, the thing is, is that um, I feel like she just mainly has a problem with trans women. Uh, I, you know, yeah. these turfs and stuff, it's like they're focusing their energy on trans women. And I feel like they're not concerned about trans men. I don't know the psychology behind that or the reasoning behind that, but I do think it's interesting. It is interesting. And part of that that 45 minutes was like reading that story, but then being like, okay, what is this series? Okay, what was the like germination of her now being this awful turf? Like, how did right. that begin? Where did that go? And then I read one little blip in her Wikipedia biography that apparently in 2020, she had said that her father made it clear, like in no uncertain terms, that he wished that she was a boy, like that he had a son. Uh, and I was like, wow, that feels like a skeleton key into her psyche. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, so it was just um, a lot of that. Well, and also also with her uh, using JK instead of whatever her first name is, is interesting. That is interesting. Yeah, I think it, it's it, Joe something. It, well, and there you go. That's a yeah. man's name too. Didn't connect that. The other thing was that it also led to I didn't realize that there's a, a Harry Potter video game coming out. Oh, yes. And the video game involves the villain being a goblin. The goblins already of which were known to be Jewish caricatures right, from the books. Right. But now the story of, of the game is, which I didn't realize this, that in Harry Potter, goblins aren't allowed to have wands, so they can't create magic. But in the video game, there's a goblin that's able to conjure magic without a wand and leads a goblin uprising. So it's a cool thing, but I assume that you're not playing as the goblins in the game. No, you're playing as somebody trying working with other characters that are in the Harry Potter universe to stop the goblin uprising. Right, right. So just a, wonder, lot of, a lot of layers. I wonder in the Harry Potter video game if when you do like your created player, 
if you're allowed to create uh, a female character, or if you have to like prove that you're female to create. <laughs> Here's the problem: the fact that that's like one, even one percent in play is is fat. Like it truly is like, oh, that is a possibility because I don't even know if it's just a matter of her asking, did the check clear, or if she tries to have like some kind of authorship over these things. Well, I I know for me like one of the most effective ways of exploring the fantasy of my own gender identity is to create a character in a video game that resembles what I wish I looked like. That's interesting. Yeah. Because even since I was a kid, I think I would play as female characters or like create female characters instead of male characters, if that was an option. It's interesting how those things, when you look back at it, like, inform your situation once you sort of understand what's going on in terms of your own identity and things like that. No, I I imagine in that case, and yeah, I mean, I've had that too, where just even a small thing, you're like, oh yeah, this, whatever this thing is, it was staring me in the face the entire time. I just had no idea. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. If you don't mind me asking, when when did you, when did that become clear to you? You know, when when did you know that? Well, well, I've known for a few years that I, I've known for a while, at least a few years, mm-hmm. that I wanted to be a woman. But so my my younger brother is trans, a trans masculine person, and. I didn't want to be the second trans person in my family, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. because I didn't want to take anything away from them. I didn't want my parents to think that I was just like hopping on the trans bandwagon or something, right? Mm-hmm. It's all like we were talking about before, just like these things in your head that make you behave a certain way, even if there's no bearing on the reality of the situation. So. Sure. I definitely knew for a while before I came out. I didn't come out until, like, earlier this year. Um, And obviously I haven't, like, really started transitioning yet because that's a whole thing in itself. But it's interesting. Like, my last two, like, serious adult relationships um, have been with bisexual women and who have their own gender identity that might skew toward non-binary or something like that. Mm. But both of them, like, knew that I was a woman without me even having to tell them. Interesting. And also, like, I guess I just give off, like, big lesbian energy. (laughs) So, but, yeah, so, I don't know. It's it's been an interesting journey. Um, It feels good to be out about it but it feels bad to feel like it's a long road to get where I want to be and feeling lazy and scared to step foot on that path if that makes sense yeah so it's a whole thing but well I I I don't feel like I have a nuanced understanding of it as we're speaking like in a recorded format no, no less about it so I don't 
I try not to misspeak about you know anything to which I'm deeply ignorant. But I don't know. If this is like congratulations. Is that like it just seems like a big thing that you're doing, and I think that's yeah, awesome yeah. that you're you're getting you know that you're working your way towards that. Sure. Yeah. No, I appreciate it. it. You know, it's just a weird thing where it's like, like hearing congratulations or whatever is nice, but also like I don't really feel like I've done anything, and yeah, I think that's enough. part of the problem is I don't feel like I, I don't feel like I am currently presenting or on the path as people would expect someone who came out as a trans woman to present or mm. or. Um, what steps they would be taking or how they would dress or act or or if they would immediately go on hormones or get surgery or anything like that. So, you know, like even though I identify as being a woman, I feel more like non-binary at present because obviously I still present as male. Yeah, it's a it's a complicated thing. It's a weird thing. But Another reason why I didn't want to come out, too, is because I didn't want it to, I've said this before, but I didn't want it to positively affect my career, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, I didn't want to be viewed as a diversity booking or hire or, like, get opportunities in comedy or in film because I'm trans. I didn't want that to happen, so that was another sort of reason why I waited. Is there a a fair amount of that, like in L.A. or the comedy scene or something, or the perception of that in some circles? Certainly, I think out here, um, the more boxes you kind of check, the more opportunities are afforded to you. Um, And I think that that's great, and I understand why that is, and I think that opportunities should be afforded to racial or um, sexual orientation minorities, right? Sure. But at a certain point, I think I don't want to be rewarded for who I am as a person in terms of that. I want to be rewarded for the content that I'm creating. So Yeah, absolutely. No, I can understand that. It's just that you want to be there because they're like, wow, you're a comedian who fits this sensibility or it's just a great comedian and you want to run a show as opposed to, wow, you tick these other demographic boxes that we want right. to tick. Right, right, right. I was curious about John Tarzan, the uh, short film that I mentioned. This is what the, one of the questions I had, that, the formal questions I had for you. Okay. Actually, wait, before we do that, I wanted to ask the one comedy question I had, since we're like semi on that. But this came up in the last like two, three weeks. This is the first time I've recorded an episode since I watched it. But I was curious about one thing about the Whitney Cummings video from the perspective of a stand-up comedian. Oh, the, which one? The clip from her special? Yeah, yeah. I think it's from the end end of her special, her most recent Netflix special, where (laughs) it's like two and a half minutes. I've watched it many, many, many times because I think it's utterly fascinating. And and, That's one word for it. Yeah. It's arguably better satire about a certain sect of comedian than I think could possibly, like, earnestly be written, probably. Absolutely, yeah. It's incredible. If you didn't like know her or know that she was being earnest, you're like, wow, this is a an incredible comedian, right? Just without if, no without knowing right. her material. Well, that's the thing is like it blows my mind because there are people doing that character. Yeah. Like a good example is Tim Heidecker's comedy special, <laughs> where he's basically being that character, ironically. 
right? His yeah. no more bullshit character. And amazing special. It's genius. It's amazing. But then somebody does that sincerely, and it's like they completely lack the self-awareness of how they're coming across, especially when there are people already making fun of that type of behavior for how like self-serious and pretentious and like out of touch it is. It's, it's really weird to me. The video, like for context, it's online everywhere, but in the video, she basically says that you can cancel me for this stuff, but you know, I, I wasn't thrust in this. We as comedians, we're not thrust in this position to be the hero, to speak on these things, you know, as if like this is the person, these are the people that America and the world at large are turning to Right. to speak on our behalf and to disseminate this information on our behalf. Right. And right. it was just like using this, he used the word hero. It really is utterly, utterly fascinating to me to watch it just in general. And again, I've watched it many, many times, but it also was just like, who the fuck are you talking to? Yeah. You, you know, is it literally one person said this to her and this is what we get as a result? I'm like, what is this coming from? Well, I mean, one thing about it is there are people in the world like audience members who agree with what she's saying true you know there there are people who believe that comedians ought to be sort of the modern day philosopher truth teller or like truth to power thing and conduit or whatever right yeah and it's like what if they went to if they if if the audience saw what it takes to be a comedian, which is literally show up to a bar and put your name on a list. There's no, there's no qualifications needed to be a comedian. You could be the dumbest or most vile piece of shit in the world, and you're able to do stand-up comedy. Like <laughs> it requires two things: know. the time and the inclination. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and a lot of people, and I know a lot of people like this. They have all this time on their hands to do comedy for a reason, which is that they can't do anything else (laughs) because nowhere else will have them. So it's just insane to me that comedy somehow has been twisted into something other than making people laugh. To me, comedy has always been about making people laugh. And if you're not making people laugh, you're not doing comedy. And I understand that that's not a sentiment shared by everybody. But my definition of comedy is that it makes people laugh. I agree. I think also, like, if you're going to go that, you know, that maybe like Carlin-esque route also, that at the very least it involves punching up. You know, sure. it's not punching down to marginalized groups. It's punching up to, to whether you're going to do that, you know, self-appointed or otherwise it's going to be self-appointed but if you're going to go that route then minimally punch up but speaking of carlin thinking about it that even in that carlin documentary like when they posited the comedian as modern day philosophers you know chris rock that's his thing that he really believes that and then they cut to jerry seinfeld and he's like no like no no like he laughed at it which honestly surprised me because he's so deeply serious about stand-up comedy to the point where like he only seems to like see stand-up comedians as real people like i think at one point he like literally called non-comedians like a plebeian not plebeians but it was like some other yeah 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 Yeah. exactly yeah so i kind of figured he would buy into that but to his credit he didn't 
I mean, I with Chris that. Rock, I give Chris Rock a pass on that because he's like one of the funniest people alive, right? <laughs> no, fair enough. So, like, if you are able to make people laugh like that, like if you're able to make bigger and blacker, you're allowed to think that. But if you're Whitney Cummings, like, you have not proven otherwise. You know what I mean? No, I think that's a great point. I th- I think if you're going to be a stand-up comedian and provide the level, at very least at times, like the level of insight that Chris Rock does, then if somebody's going to say it, he's one of the best candidates to do so. I mean, you know, people have dumb opinions. We got to stop asking all these people for their opinions. Everybody <laughs> yeah. has, like, dumb opinions. You know what I mean? Like, there's no reason why anybody should be listening to J.K. Rowling about anything other than how to sell a bunch of books. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You know, I mean, this is a person who, uh, again, this is one of the other things I learned today, but yeah, that through the uh, Pottermore website, she's like retconning different things about the Harry Potter world. And I didn't realize this, but apparently includes that there are no toilets in the wizarding world. So they poop, <laughs> they poop in corners and then disappear it with magic. Um, oh, so my point in, in bringing that back up is this is the mind of the person we're talking about. Right. That's a person who should really just, at this point, speak on what it is to own a lot of homes and be obscenely wealthy. That's right. Yeah. That's what your 10,000 hours are in at this point. And writing 1,000-plus page books that in no way involve her direct life for the last two to three to four years. So uh, <laughs> anyway. But yeah, no, I was, just, uh, I, I was just curious about the Whitney Cummings, things, uh, Cummings thing about... Whitney Cummings. Cummings. Whitney Cummings thing was that... <laughs> Was that, uh, and you're going to shows and like being around and with, you know, fellow working comedians, that isn't the mindset of them typically, right? It's more of a, that's like a rich, myopic comedian viewpoint of hers. Well, anybody that would be doing the, you know, uh, shows that I do, which are local bar and bookstore and club shows and who has the same semblance or a little bit higher level of success as me, which is like, maybe you've been on TV for five seconds once mm-hmm. and you're not famous at all and don't make any money from it. Anybody like that who thinks that way is, I think, and I'm speaking for other people here, but I think we all sort of regard a person like that as being an imbecile like <laughs> yeah if someone was doing a, a nine o'clock tuesday show at you know one of the small theaters here in la that holds like 20 people and nobody makes any money from it and they're like i'm the last philo- you know i'm modern day plato like i'm a hero i'm saying what needs to be said we'd all be like fuck off you know <laughs> yeah it's it, pretty ridiculous i mean comedy is like truly one of the most ridiculous jobs you can have it is funny though like that in a world where we have been and continue to be in a in a pandemic a thing that if that doesn't give you like some semblance of perspective in all things i mean there are a million things that should give everybody perspective happening simultaneously all the time granted but that is a big wow my mortality is real situation and that like that's what she comes up with if it, it's very interesting yeah, it sucks that's what you get out of it it's just like uh i've seen some of her stand up and, and it's just 
I'm sure she's a talented comedian, but it's not anything that necessarily resonates with me. Right. But she's, you know, she's successful seemingly for a reason. I mean, she seems pretty talented, but I, I do th- that clip is still funnier than anything I think she'll ever say in comedy for me. Yeah, it's, it's insane. It's funny <laughs> because I think a big part of comedy to me is, and I do this as my character on stage, is someone who completely lacks self-awareness is an inherently funny trait for someone to have, right? If you think it. of if you think of, you know, uh, SpongeBob or Beavis and Butthead or Wayne and Garth or Chris Farley or any any character that we love. McGruber. Austin Powers. McGruber, you know, you could one go, of my favorite. Yeah, yeah, McGruber, yeah. They all share the trait of completely lacking self-awareness and having unearned confidence it's like two of the funniest things you can have it's amazing uh for as a comedy character is like no self-awareness and complete unearned confidence and like that's what she has but she's not doing a character it's like serious it's insane it's like trump too same thing with trump he he lacks self-awareness and has total unearned confidence and it's hilarious, but he's not doing a bit. If he is doing a bit, it's like genius. But it know? never, yeah, it never gives you like that weird relief of acknowledging it. You right. Know, like, you know, it's like you want to laugh at the Whitney Cummings thing. And granted, you still can because of the nature of it. But you want to laugh at it because of you're waiting for the, the punchline of it all. And then it never comes. And so it's both a, wow, that's funny, in a, oh, okay, kind of way. It reminds me of how like a coworker of mine one time said something like, you know, it's just the type of humor I love. I just love self-defecating humor. <laughs> and I laughed really hard, and then he looked at me confused. And I realized, oh, that wasn't a joke at all. Right. And right. it was like that yeah. thing about that's both funny and informative on a different level than I expected. Some people are just dumb. Like, yeah, a lot of people yeah. are just dumb, you know? And that's okay, too. It can be, anyway, you know? To your point, I do, the like violently ignorant, brash people, brashly overconfident people, it's truly some of the funniest, especially totally. in comedy, when it's that character, you know, to your point about Tim Heidecker and all those other characters in MacGruber, is, it's one of my favorite movies. Steve Martin. For a reason. Steve Martin. Yes. Steve Martin's early stand-up. I love it. It's, it's so funny. It's bravado, idiotic bravado, and complete lack of like self-actualization or realization. It's wild. Yeah, and anybody that can, and then, you know, very appropriately, like, it's some of the smartest comedy out there. Right, exactly. It's the absolute funniest, you know, it's just like, that's where, you know, a friend one time was was talking about, like, um, Tim and Eric. They were like, yeah, that show's just so dumb. And I'm like, no, it's brilliant. Well, so that's the other thing that I really, like, live by in comedy is doing dumb, smart comedy as opposed to smart dumb comedy which is to say you're doing dumb comedy for smart people as opposed to smart comedy for dumb people yes i think that sort of comedy makes me laugh harder than anything yeah i think absolutely. it's so funny it like it makes my it really it just delights me especially when it's somebody who is just fully committing to it right it's some of the funniest shit in the world to me it's so funny yeah i i agree john tarzan your short film that i want to ask about i watched it like I said, a little bit ago. And then I was looking at something in a different tab, and I started over. So I was just listening to it the second time. Oh, interesting. To your credit, like, 
it has the cadence, the sound, the rhythms of like a 1970s set detective story, oh, which okay. I think is, that's... which I really think is a big win because it's like, it has that's all that. Awesome. And I love that. I love, uh, well, during the pandemic, I, I watched like a 80 to 170s films. Yeah. Unsurprisingly, you know, that, that decade everybody says is like the best in film. Yeah. You yeah. know, all those people it are is. very correct. <laughs> yeah, Extremely totally. correct. Totally. Uh, it's incredible. I, I'm curious to hear what you think. Because um, I can think of maybe three main influences on it, four maybe. I'm curious to hear what you think those are. They're all from that period. The first one that comes to mind, and maybe this is just an obvious one on my part, but The Long Goodbye, first thing. Definitely. It came yep. to mind. Incredible, Definitely. incredible Robert Altman film. Yep. And as an extension of that, I would say Inherent Vice, even though that's not one of the ones I'm thinking of. Well, you would say from that it's from the seventies, right? Or the the three that I'm guessing? Yeah, so the the four that I'm thinking of are from the seventies, but also two modern influ- three modern influences I would say are Under the Silver Lake, I'm assuming? Yep. And Inherent Vice and Big Lebowski. Okay. No, I could absolutely see that. Um hmm. what other influences from the seventies? I'll give you a hint. One okay. has one has Donald Sutherland in it, and one has Gene Hackman in it. Okay, I know exactly what they are. Then I was gonna guess this was the one of the other ones that came to mind. Clute came to mind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's what I was thinking of, and the other one must be um uh uh fuck me. Hold on, Night Moves. Yep. Okay, those yeah. are great choices, and I can those, absolutely see it. Those are some of my favorite. So like seventies neo noir. Private Eye movies in general, but especially those 70s neo-noir movies are just like my favorite. Um, and anything influenced by those, any, you know, Under the Silver Lake, Big Lebowski, but yeah, Clute in my movie, definitely the color palette is influenced by Clute. And Night Moves, definitely the character, Gene Hagman's character definitely influenced my character. Yeah. Um, and Long Goodbye, same thing with the character and with just sort of the general, sort of hazy, almost dreamlike, just like, you almost feel like you're in the middle of like a cloud of pot smoke or something, right? Yeah, it's like you're, you're, going, you're going through down like a, it feels like you're going through like a, I don't know, like a form of stasis, but like a breakdown of sorts about... Somebody exactly. may, maybe yeah. like getting in too deep on a case and kind of losing the thread of it. Yeah, so I thought like, and it's really easy to sound super pretentious when you're talking about your own stuff, but like my goal sort of was to explore more the interior life of the detective and how it's affecting his work rather than actually the film being about the case. Like, mm-hmm. the movie isn't really about what he's investigating. It's more about a day in the life of this guy and sort of where his headspace is at. And, yeah. like, everything in the movie, from the music to the pace to the cinematography, is supposed to sort of reflect, like, what it's what it's like inside that character's head. It's like a very interior movie in that way. Um, 
So that was sort of my goal with it. I, you know, I'm proud of aspects of it, and there are other aspects that I think I would do differently or could do differently, but I mean, I, I self-funded it with unemployment money during the pandemic, shot it in the pandemic, um, self-produced it, and, you know, like, just, I guess the thing I'm most proud of is the fact that I just, like, put a movie together by myself, basically, um, and, you know, it's not, like, the best thing I'll ever make, but I really wanted to make it as an ode to Demorge, the main actor, Mm because I just think he's so brilliant, and... He's really good in it. Um, he's great in everything, and I just wanted to showcase him in something. But also, everything he's ever in is a showcase for him. So I, the whole movie was based around him, and wouldn't have happened without him. And also, without him, I don't think the movie would work at all. So, do you yeah, think? All, they... cre- all credit to him for sure. Yeah, he's he really is great in it, um, and it's tough to to do something where somebody where pretty much a singular person is the showcase. So you've got to really be able to carry that, which is easier said than done with somebody. Mm-hmm. And he very much has a lot of presence mm-hmm. and that goes a long way. Um, do you think that you, at least for the most part, like accomplish what you want to accomplish with it? Well, I think yes, in the way that I think it's a step up in terms of production value and quality from the stuff I've made previously, I would say no in the way that I don't think I did him justice. And Mm -hmm. I don't know if I even did the script justice, to be honest. Um, A thing with a lot of my film stuff is that the script tends to be stronger than the finished product. Because in comedy and in film, I would say my strengths lie as a writer um, above anything else. You know, but I think all in all, it's like a very important learning experience for me and like experience for for growth um, yeah. as, as a, someone who wants to make stuff. Uh, I definitely learned a lot from the process and I think whatever the next thing I do is going to be is going to benefit from that experience it both in you know um failures and in successes like what to do and what not to do so sure well i think you you know that you you know you told me that the uh the tone you were trying to get across and i got that without knowing that so that that goes a long way because that's one thing that i was looking at too and even just listening to it was that the tone really came across like it was very successful and it had again it really had in a in a very non uh forced way the cadence of that exact type of movie thanks which, yeah no, it was I great i really that. enjoyed it thank you yeah yeah it's um, it's a it's a cool thing to have in my back pocket and i have other stuff that people maybe haven't seen or heard of that i like maybe more but maybe isn't as like put together but the hardest part with that stuff is just the money like the only reason i was able to make that movie is because of 
the unemployment we were getting out here during the pandemic, which was like six or seven hundred dollars a week, damn, um, which was nuts, and the most money I've ever had in my life, and it's all gone now. But <laughs> the budget for that movie was maybe a couple grand, which sounds like a lot, but I honestly feel like the budget for that movie should have been like closer to 10 grand which sounds insane but like films are so expensive even to make like a good short film i would say is like a 10 grand endeavor which like i have no idea when the next time i'm gonna have 10 grand is gonna be so either i choose to make something super lo-fi and cheap or i like wait until I have that money to make, like, something really good. Um, the other thing I would say with that is, like, short films really don't do a ton, generally. Nobody's really, like, losing their mind over short films. I think they're important for the artist to make, to, like, learn from, but, like, making a short film isn't necessarily going to, like, lead to your big break or anything, I don't think, at least from my experience, so. Yeah, I was curious about that, because I know I've talked to some people that on the show who have since done short films, and I, it was something I was curious to ask them. I know that, you know, there are the festival circuit, and then get some visibility, and maybe, like, maybe meet up with prospective producers or something like that, at least put your, you know, put yourself on the radar a little bit, possibly with the mind of, well, I've also got this, and then maybe it could lead to something in that regard, you know, outside yeah, of maybe having sure. a calling, you know, having a calling card as well, like a proof of concept or something, you know, I'm sure there's that. Definitely. Uh, no, that's definitely true. I think, I think a lot of the short films that do get a lot of attention tend to be ones made on maybe a bigger scale than what I did. If that makes sense. Yeah. But, you know, I don't regret doing it. Um, I, I think it was a lot of fun, and I'm happy to have it. I think there's stuff in there that's really good, even if there's also stuff in there that isn't. So, you know. I don't know. I think it was a success, and I would imagine, too, that, you know, at least with even with just an early short film, that sometimes even just the success is finishing it. Yeah, for sure. It's an accomplishment to just have done it. For sure. Which, by the way, I'm not trying to minimize it because I do think it was successful. Totally like no, I but I, I agree with you. I think that probably is the biggest accomplishment for me from it is just the fact that I did it. <laughs> if I had a short film finished, uh, regardless of what I thought of it, just to be like, I can press play on it and there's an end point and holy shit, I did it. This palpable, yeah, tangible sure. thing. Like, holy shit, this is a real thing. For sure. It's amazing. Definitely. Yeah, I can't can't discount that that definitely is a cool feeling here's a question is that how people is that a good interviewing technique here's a question yeah, let me there you go. That. yeah there yeah, you go. that's good <laughs> you had said too before we started recording that nicholas cage is one of i think you said your three favorite actors yeah i think he's probably top three um who are the prospective other two <laughs> philip seymour hoffman i think and tom cruise <laughs> uh that's those are those are pretty fantastic choices i mean nobody's better at making a movie than tom cruise he's just like the best movie star alive you know i think that's pretty inarguable 
he's just really good at making an entertaining movie and being really good in it. He's not just a movie star. He's a goddamn movie star. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, capital capital letters. He is the most movie star. Minimally also, in the world today. He's incredible. You know, he's also capable of really interesting character work that I wish he would do more of. I mean, there was a period where he was kind of taking risks or making slightly more artistically interesting choices. You know, if you think of his run from, like, Eyes Wide Shut, Magnolia, Minority Report, I think is, like, my favorite span of his career. Yeah. But, you know, even in stuff like Jerry Maguire and stuff like that, he's still, like, playing real humans, which I think he doesn't do a lot of anymore. Um, And I love the Mission Impossible movies, and I love... Top Gun, but I, I do kind of wish that he would get weird again. I hear that they're making a standalone uh, film based on his character from Tropic Thunder. Yeah. Starring the cast of Tropic Thunder. I'm very curious about that. And apparently he's also working on a musical. Yeah, which would be great. Too. Which would be amazing. So. And he's and he's also shooting a movie in space, so you know. That man is determined to die making a film. Yeah, yeah, he has a death wish for sure. I think well, a couple of things to your point. One, I think Mission Impossible is the best action film franchise ever made. I think it yeah. continues to be. It's incredible. It's yeah. unparalleled. I think at this point, and I think these next two movies are going to be particularly bonkers. I cannot wait. Yeah, I agree. It's the it's the thinking person's Fast and Furious. Completely agreed. I completely yeah. agree. I also think, weirdly enough, like the only other maybe run of Tom Cruise, like from a like legit acting, getting into media roles type stuff that he had, the only other one is maybe when he did within like three years of each other, The Color of Money, Rain Man, and Born on the Fourth of July. Oh, sure. Yeah. See, so I haven't actually seen Rain Man or Born on Fourth of July, which I need to get to those, but... Color Money rocks. He's it's incredible. Awesome that. Paul Newman's awesome in that. And I mean, I, Scorsese, like, this is not a hot take, but uh, I've recently rewatched a few Scorsese movies. Um, Casino and Wolf of Wall Street, especially. Casino, I think, is his best movie. I think Casino is, like, one of the best movies ever made, personally. I think it's better than Goodfellas. It's the most I've it's the it's the Scorsese movie I've watched the most easily. I deeply love it. I've watched it's it so, so many sick. times. It's so it's so gigantic. It's such a gigantic yeah. movie. Yeah. And I think it's just top to bottom perfect. I think it's a it's an absolute masterpiece. My other favorite of his I think is After Hours. Great movie. That one I was sort of Sort of like his biggest movie and his smallest movie. But, yeah, I mean, you know, Scorsese, he's good. When people say he's good, they're right, he's good. Yeah, he's very much the 1970s of filmmakers in that, you know, everybody says this thing is amazing. Yeah, it's kind of for a reason. Yeah, he's incredible. He's done 
despite the internet apparently think he's only directed mob movies somehow, and he's directed like right. three of them. He's directed. Well, the, that's the interesting thing is like he's kind of made Goodfellas three times, and like they're all masterpieces. Like <laughs> Casino and Wolf of Wall Street and Goodfellas are all amazing. Yeah, he's. And and by the way, yeah, to your point, like, please keep remaking it. As far as I'm concerned, yeah. We, yeah, we, yeah. we get nothing but absolute wins out of this as viewers. Like I've watched, I've rewatched those mo- each of those movies several times because they are both so technically like incredible, like these Swiss timepieces of films, but they're yeah. also inherently and imminently watchable or rewatchable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. deeply. Um, and like, uh, yeah, uh, the, color, the Color of Money I rewatched like a month ago, and he directs the shit out of that movie. Yeah. Like, he makes, with with the way at one point the camera is sweeping around the uh, pool table as Tom Cruise is... it's ridiculous. As Tom Cruise is peacocking, like, it is, it is uh, Scorsese showing off in the most delightful way possible. It's so I good. love a show off. I love a show off in film. I feel like I feel like John Tarzan is pretty reserved um, from a style point of view. It's a lot mm. of you know static shots or slow zooms or or sort of um, you know it's sort of like a austere movie in a lot of ways. But I would love to just go crazy with a fucking dolly or a steady cam. You know, that's my favorite stuff. Those shots do it for me. Like they might those particular shots, like people just showing off what they can do. Yeah. Makes my cinematic brain light up fully. I love it so much. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh I saw Nope the other day for the first time. Oh, amazing. And then I rewatched it the next day. Yeah. Because I, I couldn't stop. Re- I couldn't I stop thinking about it. it. I could not stop. I only saw it once in IMAX, but I need to see it again. It's so brilliant. I, I couldn't stop thinking about it. It's yeah. so fascinating. Um, I don't want to say. Uh, I, I read an interview with uh, Jordan Peele today, where he described his thought process between what the movie, the perception of what the movie would be versus what it ended up being. Because it's kind of a not a spoiler, but kind of a spoiler. But I'll, I'll say it after we get off here. But. Um, Apparently, there's the possibility of a sequel, according to him, which is interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know. I think he should just keep making original shit, because that's kind of his whole thing. But nope was dope. I'm not going to say it wasn't. Yeah, I think, you know, it's some of the, in terms of a new filmmaker, and this isn't always the case, but it's kind of damn near the fastest with a filmmaker, I've gone from, I don't, I'll be curious to see what they make to, I believe, I'll trust anything he makes. Just tell me what you want me to see. Yeah. And I'll see it. You know, I was, after that first movie, you're like, oh, okay, yeah, whatever. Right. Make whatever right. and I'll see it. Totally. Yeah. It's pretty incredible to be kind of a, to feel like, you know, he's kind of a John Carpenter S filmmaker, but then there's a lot of Spielberg in this new one. Um, but uh, you know, like any well, other filmmaker, he's got a lot of different. This might be a hot take, but I think he's more. I think he's a more gifted filmmaker than John Carpenter already. I mean, I That's love John Carpenter. I love John Carpenter, but he's not like the 
he's not like the premier film stylist of his era or anything. I know what I you mean. Think. Yeah, he's not. You're not going to go around and say he's the same level of technician as a Spielberg, who is like right, exactly who is like otherworldly gifted. Like, you know, they'd say he that he has is so like uh, like a genius at blocking. Like he can do it instinctually, do it in real time, right. and then you see it and you're like, oh wow, you could not have perfected this if you had planned it for weeks. You know, like that type yeah. of filmmaker. Uh, I can see right. that actually. Yeah, I don't think that's an indictment on. On John Carpenter at all. I mean, especially when John Carpenter's when if you try to tell me like name your top three John Carpenter, I have to really think about that and like probably agonize he over it a little kind bit. Kind of has like one masterpiece and then a bunch of like good movies. I think. What is it? The Thing. Yeah, I agree. Although I did rewatch and, Starman, and, think- and it's great. I think I think also too though the the main thing with the thing is the practical effects which he wasn't necessarily responsible for. True. I think it adds a lot. But it does, yeah. I just remembered there was a sequel to the thing, or a pre- I guess it was a prequel, maybe. That or, was like yeah, like the remake. Yeah, with Joel Egerton and uh... yeah. I uh, can't remember her name from a Ten Cloverfield Lane. Mary Elizabeth Winstead. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm surprised she's not a movie star. She's one of those actors I see in yeah I see in movies, and I'm like, wow, I, I figured you'd be everywhere. Uh, but married to Ewan McGregor. That's right. Yeah, I forgot about that. And in retrospect, um, she just signed on to a new movie today. Now that I think about it. Well. Yeah, I she is definitely one that um I trying to think of what I sorry for the notification noise. Oh you're fine. Um, I didn't even hear it. Okay. Yeah. Um was there was there a uh final wrap up question you wanted to ask? I gotta hop off in a minute. Sure. Final question. Well, I, honestly, I mean, this is more tied to, to, you know, the general movie stuff we've been talking about. But I was curious, like, what all, what have you been watching lately? Exactly. That's just in general. Well, or it's anything to recommend to people too that might they've not might not have seen either. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's interesting because I I definitely watch a mix of like you know, like cinema movies and then like stuff that my girlfriend wants to watch or like, you know, like movies that are just entertaining or fun and not necessarily like artistically, you know, anything. Sure. Um, Two, uh, like three shows I've been watching. I, I started watching Mad Men, which I never saw before, which I think is great. That's another one that everyone's like, it's great. And then it actually is really yeah. good. Um, stylistically, it's just really cool. It, it definitely nails the feel of that time. Um, uh, Yellow Jackets, I'm rewatching. That's kind of like my favorite show besides Barry, I would say. I think Yellow Jackets rocks. Um, is, so it holds up in the reviewing? Absolutely, yeah. It's so okay, good. Okay, Good. Um, and then this show called The Resort on Peacock is really cool. Um, 
It's the guy from The Good Place and the girl from Palm Springs. And it's sort of like a weird supernatural, mystical, mystery, comedy sort of puzzle box show. Um, I think the guy who created Mr. Robot created it. Um, Is that Sam Esmail, right? Yeah. It's it's good. It's really good. It's very interesting. Um, uh, in terms Peacock, of movies... Peacock has some good stuff, by the way, that like people don't even know exists. They have yeah, some really for good sure. shows. Like Get for Down sure, is great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, in terms of movies, I watched the uh, James Gunn Suicide Squad the other day. And I was actually really surprised by how much I enjoyed it. I thought I wouldn't like it at all. I'm not really a big superhero movie guy lately. Yeah. Um, I, I enjoyed that. I, I rewatched Spider-Man 3, which I think is like as good as superhero movies get. I'm a big Spider-Man 3 uh, proponent. I, I love, always enjoyed it. I love the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies. Um, rewatched La La Land, which also has a lot of haters, but I think is really brilliant. Um, it's just like a really well-made movie and really emotionally impactful, I think. Um, you know, when I was rewatching um, Under the Silver Lake the other day, I, you know, I think I thought a lot about La La Land. And how yeah they they both you know both are their own stories in that in their respective genres while also having so much reverence and intelligence about the genres, and right. so I was like I was like man I'd really I need to do a a double feature of watching those two back to back because they both made me That's feel delightful yeah. Well, it's interesting because La La Land certainly leans into the fantasy of Hollywood. Mm -hmm. whereas i think under the silver lake is sort of a satire of like east side la hipsters um i'll say this i still think the most realistic depiction of los angeles that i've seen in media is the show bosch okay on amazon the cop show it's, like, the only thing I've seen that, like, actually depicts L.A. as it actually feels like to live here. Everything else is, like, a fantasy. That's interesting. Even something I, I love, like, Mulholland Drive, obviously, has a lot of elements of, like, what it feels like to live in Los Angeles, uh, weirdly enough, but is obviously still, like, very much taking place in sort of a fantasy. Um so Bosch is like more of an unvarnished representation that doesn't, that's not like showing like, this is our perception of it. This is just what LA is. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like a place that people live, you know? Yeah. Cause for 99% of people here, it's just a place that they live. It doesn't have any of that glamor attached to it. Right. It's just like traffic and smog and crime and tacos and baseball and like driving super far to go to work, you know? Yeah, it almost sounds like a TV show made by somebody who was just born and raised in L.A. as opposed to exactly, somebody, yeah. somebody who moved there and is like, I'm in Hollywood. It's just like, exactly. yeah, it's L.A. This is Los Angeles, California. 
Exactly. That's interesting. Yeah. Okay, I need to I need to actually uh, move that up my list then because I've been curious. It's about actually it a, it's a really 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 good detective procedural, which okay. I'm a huge fan of those, obviously. But it's like a really good example of that. I okay, think. I need to watch that. I like Titus Welliver a lot too. He's so. amazing in it. He's so okay. great. Yeah. Okay, awesome. Um, is there anything else you want to mention uh, before plugging things and then we wrap it up? I don't think so. I've had a lot of fun. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, um, I appreciate your time. It's been great to meet you virtually after talking <laughs> yeah. on social media and things like that. So, you know, I really enjoyed it. I was really looking forward to it um, for a minute before I got, uh, I don't forget, I never mentioned this on the podcast, before I got COVID, I got got by COVID. Yeah. <clears throat> and I'm not testing positive anymore as of a couple of days ago, so that's good. That's a win. I, um, I may I may have had a hand in that to try and get out of doing the podcast. I'm just going to be up front with you. It's a it's one of the more literal viral marketing campaigns. Yeah, I've ever heard of. Uh, pretty insidious <laughs> and pretty impressive. Yeah, very impressive. Well done. <laughs> That's definitely an adjective people use to describe me a lot. Is insidious. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah, good. I've heard that before. You're like, <laughs> like yeah. One word describe me? Probably insidious. You said with an yeah, impish insidious. grin. An impish <laughs> grin saying insidious. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Um, what all do you want to point people toward? I know that uh, I'll, I'll put the link to your short film if you want that. Um, yeah, With the sure. episode. Uh, um, yeah, check me out on Instagram and Twitter at Max Beasley. B-E-A-S-L-E-Y-Y. I think it's three Ys on Twitter. Um and yeah, uh, you know, if I post my shows on there, so if you ever want to come see me do a show, um, just say that you heard me on this podcast, I guess, and then it won't be weird. Hell yeah. Yeah, I guess that's it. Perfect. Well, thank you again for your time. I, I, this was great. Yeah, thank you. I had a lot of fun. I figured it would be fun and easy, and it was that very thing. So that's awesome. all you can hope for. But as I now break the fourth wall third wall thank you all for listening please stay safe please take care that sounds deeply insincere but i mean it be kind to yourself be kind to others lead with empathy if you can hopefully yeah. and uh just you know be kind to yourself life's tough we're all doing the best we can dear yeah. god and avoid covid because it's not very fun even in its best case scenario take care what a way to end it bye bye